0: This is my opinion. Sure. I don't think that it's the same kind of interaction. You know, most of us can, for lack of a better word right now, hide a little bit behind the computer. Um, You're not really bringing your whole self to it. Um, I don't know. It just feels very different to me if it's an online relationship.
1: This week, does marriage make you more social? Dutch researchers looked at 24 different studies to find out. Dr. Karen Sherman and I discussed the results. Stay tuned. I'm going to go ahead and self-promote here. I've co-authored my first book. It's called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and it's part biography, part self-help, part leadership book and a part sports story and it's very inspirational it tells the story of the ucla gymnastics head coach valerie condos field who has become one of the winningest coaches in ncaa history yet she never did gymnastics in fact she's never even played competitive sports in her life she was a professional ballerina as you can imagine she has an amazing story and she is an amazing person and i'm really proud of the book that we have put together it's out now wherever books are sold. And again, it is called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. Oh, and if you read it, please leave a review or email to let me know what you think. Thank you. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor in chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the brilliant, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, So Karen, for those tuning in for the first time, is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Okay, so... uh, We are going to discuss the social ramifications of marriage, and um, the topic came about because um, I came across an article that was discussing um, the collection of studies done um, from some Dutch researchers who analyzed 24 studies, and they essentially found that being married makes you more social um, and sociable. So... One of those findings uh, is that those who were married did more volunteer work, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and we talk a lot about the correlation of the circumstances of lifestyle and habits from being married. Does this seem, um, volunteering more, Karen, does this seem like one of those natural extensions to that? No.
0: <laughs> okay. I I was really I was really surprised. Uh, I don't think that just because you're married, you're going to volunteer more. Um, you know, and I love that you're using the word correlation because. Uh, As we've discussed previously, but there's the possibility that people have not tuned in to the episode where we've discussed correlation. A correlation means that as one thing is doing something, another thing is doing something. So in other words, my my typical example is that as the streets in Manhattan are melting, uh, more people die. So as one thing is doing something, the streets are melting. Another thing does something, more people die. So one could say, oh, so you mean that people are dying because the streets are melting? No, it's not being caused by it. It's due to a third factor, which is that the sun is so hot that it's causing the pavement to melt. And it's also creating... um, more heart attacks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, there might be a correlation that, uh, the people are married and now they're volunteering more, but I don't think that one is causing the other. I think that there are, um, some other factors.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, one of the third,
0: a third factor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was just going to jump into one of the things that they discussed was that, um, People in uh, married relationships, uh, and, and I, would, I would be very interested to see, like, the statistical breakdown of um, churchgoers. But they talked mm-hmm. specifically about churchgoers were more likely to volunteer based on the work that churches, like, typically do. Um, and so it was through the relationship of marriage that because you were married, you went to church more. Um, than if you were not married, I think. Um, so, yes, I think that was the the correlation that we're talking about here, um, which I also think is interesting, and I think it says something about our society and our culture that outside of church, you're less likely to volunteer uh, than like why wh- like f- I guess what I'm trying to get at is the f- the fact that religion. Um, one of the one of the outshoots of religion is this volunteer work where in general society, that's not um, one of the things that we put forward as something we should be doing uh, as a regular ongoing thing. so
0: right. and and I, I agree that I think that probably because um, the particular people that they had in their study were churchgoers that, they then saw more volunteering. But I want to speak a little bit about that. So first of all, um, perhaps now that a couple gets married, and and here's the scenario in my head. I have no idea if I'm right, but here's what I picture. Mm -hmm. A couple gets married, and the wife says, well, you know, I really think we should be going to church. And the husband has been so-so about it for many years. But, you know, now they're a couple and now they have to, you know, think more like adults and commitments and things like that. So he agrees with her and he says, okay, yes, let's start going to church. and Or, or maybe he was a churchgoer f- from his family of origin also. But now as a married couple, they decide that, yes, this should be part of their routine. And so because of that, there are many opportunities for people who are in church to become volunteers. And so that's how, you know, that's that third variable that I'm talking about that really may be the one that's influencing um, the situation. That being said, the church or the temple or the mosque, whatever, may be providing Structured volunteering that is easy to point to in a research study. Mm. That does not mean that people are not helping other people, but in ways that a researcher can't necessarily point a finger to. So if somebody, let's say, sees an elderly person carrying a package and offers to carry it for them, or holds a door open, even though that may be more acts of random, random acts of kindness. You're still, in a way, volunteering to help another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just less structured. You don't, yeah. you can't point to it and say, "Yes, you've gone to the soup kitchen," or was... "Yes, you've collected toys for tots and things like that."
1: Right? No, like I, I, I love that you brought that up because as you were saying it, I was thinking that. Um, I think what a lot of parents do f- for their kids in school, for example, a lot mm-hmm. of volunteer work happens yes. at schools. And I'm guessing that if you were asked that question, um, if it was phrased in a very particular manner, they would probably think that going out to your to your point, like th- working at a soup kitchen, they would absolutely classify as volunteer work. But right. Um, <laughs> you know, chauffeuring kids at a field trip, they probably wouldn't declare that as volunteer work as Yes, and readily. that's a
0: very good point. That's a good point that you're raising, Steve, in regard to research. And in our last episode, we were talking about when you look at research, you know, what should you be aware of? And one of the things is how the questions asked? Mm-hmm. Because based on how they're asked, you're going to get certain kinds of answers. So, for people who want and listen to the last episode that you and I did together. Um, but also, again, if it was phrased a certain way, people might say, oh, no, we don't we don't volunteer. When, in fact, if it was asked in a certain way, they might say, yes, we do volunteer. And that could be people who aren't married.
1: Right. <laughs> you know, and then the other one last thing I wanted to bring up about the church going is... Um, Particularly because we're talking married couples and what happens in the cycle of life is couples get married, they have kids, yada, yada. Um, well, I know a lot of people who aren't themselves necessarily like very religious. However, mm-hmm. they want their child to grow up with some sort of religious backdrop. So they mm-hmm. will enroll them in classes or take them to church or synagogue or whatever. Um even though they themselves aren't that religious. So then, mm-hmm. through again, through that process of being married and having a child, that has then put you in a position to reassess whether or not you're going to church or not, whereas if mm-hmm. you had just stayed single, stayed out of relationship, that question wouldn't even come up for you. So I think that was just something else that kind of dawned on me as we were discussing this.
0: Right. And and the other thing that I want to bring up, based on what you just said, is <laughs> that if you have now decided to get more involved in your local religious um, institution, and you have children, and that's part of the motivating factor, then one of the things you're also going to be aware of is that children model behavior. And so you might end up putting yourself out a little bit more not necessarily for the purpose of volunteering, but to teach your children that, you know, it's nice to help other people, or at least we would hope that people would think along those lines. So there's a lot of factors that could be contributing to the results that were found that are not really being spoken about.
1: So this actually raises an interesting question for me, uh, which is, what's the difference like if you're if you're right. doing the actions to be a model for your child, not necessarily mm-hmm. because you want to, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you're still serving soup at the soup kitchen or whatever mm-hmm. that deed is, right? So, mm-hmm. does it does it matter what the motivation is behind all this stuff?
0: Well, no. And I'll throw another wrench into the whole thing. You get into the whole area of the study of altruism. Uh-huh. And is there really any behavior that is truly altruistic? Because anytime you help somebody else, it makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. It, it it provides positive feelings for you, so is it really altruistic or is it selfish?
1: Right. There's a <laughs> no. There was a, a really funny um, Friends episode uh, way back when that was on the air about this, where they were trying mm-hmm. like there was a battle mm-hmm. between two of the characters. One of they were trying to show each other up, where they were do, they would do something that wasn't in their own interest. Um, Mm. some altruistic act that didn't make them feel good and they couldn't Mm -hmm. come up with a single one that didn't make them feel good so it was Mm -hmm. interesting about that um so one of the other things that i wanted to bring up is that the the researchers found that new parents volunteered less um which Mm -hmm. seems absolutely ridiculously obvious to me because they have yeah. a new baby like why would you be you wouldn't have time or the uh, <laughs> right. the energy. energy right to <laughs> to volunteer to help others when you're trying to raise this ch- newborn um mm-hmm. so is stuff like that even helpful i mean d- like is it how it's presented helpful because i feel like this gets into I just feel like information like that can be really used for fear mongering or shaming or something like that because you would never see a headline, for example, that says new parents don't volunteer in their community Mm -hmm. as a way to say, like, you know, we don't want young, young adults in this neighborhood or something, you know? Yeah. Well, again, you know, I think it's
0: the way you present it, because my immediate thought is um, new parents, um, b- aside from being exhausted and tired, somehow managed to still volunteer and help each other out. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so they are volunteering. It's just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um because very often, let's say a couple will say, you know what, you guys want to go out, we'll babysit your baby tonight, and then next week we'll swap. Um, so it's not as if the help, if you talk about volunteering, the helping each other, helping somebody else out doesn't exist. It just exists in different formats right. and under different circumstances.
1: Right. Um that makes sense. Uh, so we we were talking about the church going thing. Um, the one of the other things that I just wanted to bring up about it, and we can wrap up on the church going thing. But um, one of the other things that the researchers stipulated was that it's the extension of your social circle. So now that you have mm-hmm. a spouse, and the spouse has friends, um, mm-hmm. it's perhaps through the friends. Your, your spouse's friends who offer up this tidbit about this volunteering opportunity, um, does that hold water for you as, like, a plausible explanation? Well, I think, first of
0: all, your social circle is going to likely expand because of your mate. Mm-hmm. And then I think that whatever activities your social circle is involved in, you are now exposed to those possibilities. Maybe it's skiing. Maybe it's uh, playing bridge. You know, maybe it's volunteering. Um But I think that whenever you are exposed to a new group of people, you're also exposed to whatever opportunities they're involved in. And so uh, it might end up being volunteering. Also, years ago, um, my cousin told me about – a group well it wasn't really a group about an organization she learned of that delivered Thanksgiving meals to people who were homebound on Thanksgiving. Now, had she not told me about it, I never would have known. Mm-hmm. but once she told me about it, I signed up to do it. My husband and I signed up to do it. So obviously, you know you learn about situations um through other people and then you either, you know, take an interest and do it or, or not. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be volunteering. It could be anything.
1: Right. It's interesting too, because you're right. It is a lot of times we live life with out of sight, out of mind. Um, Mm -hmm. If something is presented to us, we will then contemplate it. But if it's not presented to us, we're not going to stop and think, you know, this Thanksgiving, what's going on and who can I help? You're thinking, Mm -hmm oh, crap, I got to get a turkey and I have to make sure it's thawed in time. And, you know, you're thinking about mm-hmm. the things that you have to do immediately, not expanding uh, perhaps potential responsibilities that you would take on. So I think it's really interesting um, and it seems obvious that when you start engaging with more people that they would then present new, fresh opportunities for you, mm-hmm. some of those being volunteer work. Yes, Um One of the things that we have recently discussed is how the social circle within marriage, if um, there was another study that talked about whether or not a husband liked his wife's friends, that could spell doom or Mm -hmm. success for the marriage and Mm -hmm. um, how the spouse, the the wife's relationship with the husband's friends had less impact on the marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about volunteer work specifically um do you think if we're using that scenario we just discussed where like a friend suggested the volunteer work and you do it together that that would potentially strengthen the bonds of friendships and strengthen that social circle
0: well i think I think yes, and I think it's even going to strengthen the relationship between the couple. Because again, remember that what we do know from research is any time that you're helping another person, it makes you feel good. So you have this good experience now you 're sharing it with your mate who 's also having that experience. You feel good about your mates. you feel good about yourself it 's a you know it 's a win win so I think it 's going to strengthen the bond between you and your mate and I think that if it 's something that you 're doing with your circle of friends it 's just a, an all around good feeling so mm-hmm. yes, I do think so
1: okay um, and One item the researchers found was that uh, a larger friendship group. Uh, can make people care more about those around them. Um, Again, I I kind of feel like this seems obvious, but maybe not. Um, Now, if you and your spouse have a difficult time making friends, do you have any recommendations for how they can expand their their social group? Well, this is where joining... Your
0: religious institution is helpful Mm -hmm. because it's already established. Most of those um, organizations have a men's group, a women's group, a couple's group. You know, there's just so many different groups that they have that it's easy to come into them and to join them. And, of course, you already have a basis that you all share, which is the same religion. So there's a commonality. Um, It's almost like, you know, how do you make friends in a new district? Generally, it's through the parents of your um, your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that when they're playing sports and everything, that's the common thread is your children and the activities that they're doing. <clears throat> but if you're a new couple and you join um, your temple, your mosque, your church – then you've got the religion as the common thread, and they have these different activities that will introduce you to other people your, you know, your age uh, within that community. So I think that that is really a very good way, uh, you know, to meet others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you've got like, of course, your usual meetups and things like that. But I do think, probably, as I think about it, that the Uh, religious um, organizations are the easiest way to do it. You know, you can, of course, find um, uh, groups that you like where you like the hobbies and things like that uh-huh. um but they're not they're going to be very specific uh you know you know do you like to cook right. you know do you like to ski you know do you like to um uh play golf or things like that um but there again it's not quite as organized and you have to do a little bit more of the work on your own yeah so um again i do think those other organizations are probably a very good way to meet people
1: Mm. Um and only because we just r- recently finished a midterm election, I'm also thinking uh, working for a political party, do you think that would be similar?
0: Yeah. As a matter of fact, it probably would be because, again, um, you're going to have the candidate that you support as the commonality and, you know, you're all working for a similar goal. So that's going to, you know, be a driving force uh, together. Um Most of the time, not all, there's there's going to be a very large uh, number of people who are on the younger end of the spectrum, because a lot of times that's where a lot of the, you know, knowing from my past experience, um, it's interesting what happens once the particular election is over as to what happens with Mm -hmm. the group, because the group is so focused on that goal, you know, and then once the election is over... I'm not sure that the group necessarily stays together. A couple of people, you know, might still want to hang out together or get together, but I don't know if it's you know long term, uh, you know, relationships that get developed. Right,
1: and this gets back into what you were talking about with the structure of organization. Right, because this right. is uh, cyclical—the uh, election and the politics, whereas religion it's ongoing. I mean, I yes. suppose you could you could argue that. If you joined, like a Republican or Democratic, something something in your area, that that would technically be ongoing. Um, You would have different Mm -hmm. candidates, but the issues would probably, hopefully, remain similar. Um,
0: Yes, and and in many communities, you have the Republican uh, club or the Democratic club or things like that. You know, speaking of which. I think probably in a lot of communities also there's like the Italian club or mm-hmm. the Polish club or things like that. So anything where there is a commonality would be a good way to um, meet people and share likenesses with each other.
1: Yeah. And so this actually gets me to one last question about finding these groups and ex- expanding your social uh, network. Um, does Do online relationships have this kind of impact as well? And, you know, as we're talking and, and coming up with these groups, I'm also thinking like there are, for example, are reading groups and some of them gather online and some of them gather in person. Um, there's obviously a mil- you can join a million different groups online. But do these kind of bonds, do you think that they have the same kind of positive impact as if you were face to face?
0: I don't think so. I mean, this is my opinion. I don't think that it's the same kind of interaction. You know, most of us can, for lack of a better word right now, hide a little bit behind the computer. Um, You're not really bringing your whole self to it. I don't know. It just feels very different to me if it's an online relationship. Um, You know, a lot of times um, it's a prelude to finally meeting somebody. Um, Interestingly, and I'm going to share something with you, but this was a very unusual thing. Uh, Many years ago, um, I was in the uh, first class of Martin Seligman who taught positive psychology. Um, And it was a huge um, call that people called into. And then um, each week there were groups uh, that would do assignments. So there were like pods that Mm -hmm. would do the assignment. And from my particular group, six of us uh, stayed on and just continued to talk to each other. And from that, eventually, three of us got very close and maintained our call with each other and became very close friends and, and really got into personal details with each other and eventually met in person. Um, but that was very, very unusual. Um, and, and again, it's, it's really quite different when you're interacting online and on phone than when you have the ability to really interact with people on a, you know, face-to-face kind of basis. Yeah. So my personal opinion is that no, online relationships, um, generally are not going to be the same.
1: Yeah. I, uh, by the way, have, it's great to hear that, the. the 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 friendship that you developed through those phone calls that's that's awesome, um, I I'm of two minds on this one, I agree that the relationships are different when they're in person, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. we know uh, again we know that it, when you we are you know in the simplest sense animals and we have senses and when you're face to face with a person you're able to engage with more of those senses. Um, you can see them, smell them, touch them, all these different things that you cannot do online, right? Mm-hmm. So, because of that, we also know that we have uh, chemicals that flow through our body based on those interactions when somebody walks into a room or somebody looks you in the eye. All these mm-hmm. things have an impact on, on the bonding that takes place between two people. On the, and this gets in my two minds thing. So, there's that part of it. And... Um, I thought it was, I think it's interesting that you mentioned how people might not bring their whole self or present them whole, their whole self online, which, mm-hmm. I, which I agree with. Um, I also uh, believe that people do that exact same thing, if not more so, in person. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one way to think of this in the simplest of terms is the Me Too movement. Um, people who hadn't told their significant other hadn't told their parents, hadn't told their siblings about abuse that they had suffered, felt comfortable Mm -hmm. being more open online than they were Mm. in person. And they were more true to who they were and their life experiences online, and they found this community of other people um, than they had in person. So it's, it's interesting. Like, again, I absolutely... Uh, agree the relationships are different in person than online. I think a lot of, and maybe it's because I, you know, I think my family got our first computer when I was maybe in high school, junior high maybe. Um, but it, I was still pretty young. So I essentially grew up with a computer um, and I've lived an evolving social networking era in very formative years. Um, and same thing with like video games and talking to people online. And I remember AOL chat rooms and all this stuff. Um, and I've always tried to pay a lot of attention to everything that's come out about online relationships. And I've seen the good and the bad. Um, and on the one hand, I don't think it's a substitute for in person on the flip side. I think a lot of times people underestimate the power of online relationships. And so I, I, Anyway, so that's that's my take, and I don't, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that I have the right answer or anything. It's just the way that I that I see this whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think I think there's validity to what you're saying, and <clears throat> my commentary about the Me Too movement was that I don't know that there was relationship there. I think there was revealing there, and you're right; it's much easier to do that. You know, in in online as opposed to in person. But when you talk about the chat rooms, I do think that there are some relationships that can be um, developed in that because you do have initially the safety of being able to reveal certain things and then actually develop a relationship online. So I'm going to alter my response a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting, too, because I'm, now that you just mentioned that, so I was also thinking, so my wife, um, sh- she does some stuff online, and she has this person that she's been working with for three, four years now, maybe longer, and for the very first time ever, he was over at our place having dinner with mm-hmm. us. And- this was a relationship that had been going on for years and we never met hmm. in person. Um, right. and, and I have, you know, and it was to your point, like we had, there was definitely a relationship there. There was comfort and familiarity and all that stuff, but seeing him in person, uh-huh. um, there was this like personalization of it, of that relationship mm-hmm. that took mm-hmm. it to like this different level, you know? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, so I, yeah, I totally get the whole thing. It's, um, it's really interesting. Um, all right, Karen. Final question. Anything to add? No, I think okay. we
0: did a, um, a lot of we put a lot of meat on the basic <laughs> question. So I think
1: we're good. OK, fantastic. Well, I won't uh, take up any more time. So with that, we will wrap it up. So thank you so much, uh, Karen. It is always a pleasure. I love digging into the, the nitty gritty on this stuff with you. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Steve. Uh, And so with that, everybody, we are going to wrap it up. But I want to remind you before you go that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is also the author, uh, co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. And, of course, you can find this information at our website, hitchedmag.com. So that is going to do it for us this week. Until next time, take care, everybody. We're on top of the world tonight. We're on top of the world tonight.